Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. like to turn your attention here to 2 Timothy, and then we'll take a little bit of a journey here together. Verse 19, Paul's last letter here to Timothy, we know it to be near his end of life moments that he writes this. He's telling that young protege, salute Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onisphorus and Eridus abode at Corinth. But Trophimus have I left at Miletus sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee. Pudens, Linus, Claudia, all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. It must be one of the most transparent and toughest lines that Paul ever wrote. Most typically it is read over without much evaluation or consideration. But in the 20th verse, he says something to this young protege, this young Timothy, this young preacher in the gospel. Paul, this great man of faith, when he said, but Trophimus, have I left sick at Miletus? And that's what I, uh, I just want to preach from that, that thought. Trophimus, have I left sick? God, I feel your presence in this house. I believe you have a specific word to deliver to the people tonight. But more importantly than anything, I think your presence wants to do a work. I'm asking for your help here tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let every person say amen. God bless you and you may be seated this evening. Certainly I greet you. Tonight, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can say, and we can say most assuredly, that the presence of the Lord is in this house. For we are in unified agreement with the textual evidence that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we who praise him, rest on the assurance that he does still inhabit the praise of his people. And it's what we've been doing here tonight on the high sounding symbol, on the loud symbol, on the organ, on the piano. We've been praising the Lord with the clapping of our hands and the lifting of our voice. We have been Praising the Lord. Let there be no mistake that our objective has been singular. At least it must be singular. That we are not here to entertain one another. But rather we are here to entertain the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. That we are here to magnify a name which is matchless. 
and a God who has none other beside him. It was my distinct honor to stand on Friday night in this city at a particular meeting special to this weekend for Martin Luther King Day and to have the ability to address city leaders and preachers of multiple denominations. It was my privilege to be able to stand before them. There were awards that were given out. The mayor came and made remarks and several denominations of speakers of all walks that were there. And I was very honest with them when I took the podium. I told them whether you recognize or not, you have invited a Pentecostal preacher into this setting. But like Brother Scott said to me, it was by no accident who they invited. And Brother Scott and some others were there. And what I got up and I preached to that crowd was what I preached to this crowd only a week ago that we need a revival of unity in the city of Indianapolis that crosses ethnic, social, even geographic boundaries. This is a significant weekend in America's history for us to consider. I've spent some time this week even reading through Dr. King's speeches, some of his most famous and the one that is most familiar to the majority of the crowd is from where I'll dry, draw this small excerpt here tonight. It is considered his most famous speech where he speaks of the dream. And in one of the stanzas that is recorded from that speech, he writes, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And while I felt myself slightly overwhelmed and those that were there know I did not spend much time that night alluding to Martin Luther King. It had been mentioned and he had been mentioned multiple times and I felt my assignment there was to be the spiritual voice for the night. The only mention that I made was when I referenced the spirit of the weekend and the unity that is necessary. I would draw from this very famous speech even at the onset, and I will tell you that there has always been an attack to segregate individuals. Even as early as the scripture I believe that division was first housed in the division of Adam and Eve from God and then played out between even the brothers Cain and Abel. Division has always been a tactic of the enemy. But I want to talk to us tonight about a man, a man most of us know, if not all of us know quite well because of his extensive writings as a man by the name of Paul. And those of us who are here tonight that are accustomed to his story, we know that we first called him Saul. And he was wreaking havoc against the church. He was a nemesis of the early day church. He was gathering letters and walking with authority. He was beating individuals. He was having individuals thrown into jail. We even see his presence at the martyrdom of the first individual by the name of Stephen. Saul and his presence is felt. But, but Saul had a great experience with God. It was on that road to Damascus when that conversion took place. And it ought to touch our hearts, ladies and gentlemen, the conversion that took place in the life of this preacher killer and this Christian persecutor by the name of Saul. Because if Saul had a chance to be turned into a great 
orator and writer for the kingdom of God, then I would tell you I believe there is no person in our city that is too far beyond the reaching and the drawing of God. You can find no more hardened criminal than that of Saul in the text. And yet Saul has his life turned around. Brother John, you were preaching tonight about that call to the young Samuel. And he did not know who it was, but the Lord kept calling. When the Lord first gives Saul this dramatic revelation and experience, he cries out in concern, not understanding. He, he feels this moment but cannot recognize. And the Lord Jesus speaks to him. And there is a conversion that takes place and is fulfilled after he leads them there to a preacher. And the Bible said it was like those scales fell from his eyes and the blindness that had taken place. And it was hard for them to allow him into the church. He was ostracized and alienated. And we know it was because he was feared. It's hard to let a guy into church that you know likes to kill church people. There's not a person in this place that would say, well, just let them in. Pastor, surely they've had a, a changed heart. It's hard to accept them. People all over the place would be saying, listen, I know you're a bleeding heart, but use some common sense. Right? And I think we have to be honest about the moment and the tenure. The temperature of the, of the text and what's taking place here. Saul, Saul had been working and consenting unto the death and the persecution of these Christians. But he is in fact loved in the church because the Lord spoke to him. But the Lord also spoke to a preacher. And he grafted him into the body. And it seems like no time before Saul is preaching. And he has went from tearing down Christianity to building up Christianity. He has gone from, from teaching and leading revolt against Christians to preaching about the name of Jesus Christ and the power of revelation. It was a powerful. It was a dramatic conversion. And I've said it before, but I feel that I should say it again here tonight. We need Brother Turner to be expecting dramatic conversion even in this hour. Dramatic conversion. Not something we can play them into, hype them into, entertain them into. Dramatic conversion where somebody says, I know it's the Lord. I know it's the Lord. I know it's the Lord. I know... And when it's dramatic conversion, it will blind you to who you've been and it will blind you to what you are and it will set you on a path to what you need to be. That's why we're not a church that believes in leaving people the way that the Lord finds them. When the Lord finds them, he has a plan to work something in their life. How many know that Paul needed more than just that Damascus road? He needed to be loved into the body. He needed to be given a voice among the brethren. He needed to be given a platform to minister. And it was a process and it was a portion of time. But that conversion led into that, that powerful ministry of Paul. But it started with dramatic conversion. I, I can't quite get away from this, so I'm going to say it again. I believe that there can be dramatic conversion that happens in our friends this year. Dramatic conversion. People that you have already written off that you thought I tried with them. I invited them. I worked on them. But dramatic conversion that changes them. Here's the powerful thing about dramatic conversion. When the Lord does it, they can't deny it. When the Lord does it, they cannot deny it. That's what I'm asking God for. That people have to walk out of the house saying, yeah, the music was good. The preaching was okay. But when he touched me, when he, 
I'm talking about that old-fashioned, you can't explain it away kind of touch from God where people don't care who sees them, who's watching them, who laughs at them, who makes fun of them. I've been in the kind of services where they get up and run down to the altar and they throw themselves on the altar and some people are looking around and people are concerned and wondering and that they don't care at all. They just got to get to the feet of Jesus and say, I feel something drawing me from heaven. I'm longing for that kind of dramatic conversion where God pulls and changes the hearts and the lives of men and women. That's great. But now we fast forward all the way to the end of his life. We know that Paul is going to have some incredible missionary journeys, some powerful moments in his ministry. There is probably nothing more powerful about Paul than his ability to write. How many know that every great speaker is not a great writer? And every great writer is not a... It's just the truth. Don't know how it works. Sometimes you can do both. But anybody in here that's ever done any editing can tell you some people can speak really good, but they can't write really good. I assume that Paul was a great and a powerful preacher, but I know he was a dynamic writer. Heard somebody talk about whether or not he was a great preacher one time. He's the only guy in the whole scripture that gets mentioned for preaching so long, somebody falls out and dies in the middle. Of <clears throat> that's long-winded. Long-winded, but so powerful that he goes down, lays on the kid, he gets back to life, and Paul just walks up and starts preaching again. That's long-winded. I'm thinking that would have been a good place for an altar call. If that would have been a Pentecostal church, we'd have said there's miracles in the building. There's miracles right here. But he got done because Paul seemed to live with this chip on his shoulder that time is short. Time is short. And we got to get this message out there to everyone that will hear. And he would walk into a city and he would preach and he would teach. And we know that he would write. And the writing is the work of his, uh, uh, his letters to the churches. We have the, the Pauline epistles that we love to read and to study and to take a look upon. We are enamored by his writing for its proficiency and its depth. And the way that we are able to see the intricate inner workings of the church on display. And isn't it amazing that the writing to the church in this day still applies to the church of this day? The timeless truths of God's Word breathed upon and through Paul and forever recorded in Scripture. But Paul was one who always had this not enough time to get it done. And he would go through whatever it took. I know that most of us in here, and I think if we really think about the life of Paul and we consider what he had to deal with, what, what he went through, the, the shipwrecks, the lashings and the beatings, the persecution. It seems as though Paul just had to, to take this. In fact, he, he, he would even talk about the fellowship of his suffering. He, he identified something with Christ. And, and whether you would think it or not, I, I have a hard time removing it from his previous life and what had occurred and what he had done. And if he didn't somehow feel it necessary, even when the accusing tongue would come and even when it would turn to physical abuse, even when it would turn to isolation, even when it went as far as shipwrecks and lashings, Paul would turn that life experience into a testimony. You know, anybody that wants to, any believer that has their mind made up can take the hardships of life and turn it into a testimony about the keeping power of God. The enemy would love for us to focus. And for most of us in this room, if we got beat one time, it would be over. If we were shipwrecked one time, we'd want to cash in. Had that one good missionary trip, that was a good one, but that was it. 
Look at my stories. Look at the pictures. This is what we did. This is what we went through. But Paul, time and time and time again, because Paul was on a mission, this conversion, this change, the Saul he was to the Paul that he became. And I look around this room tonight on a Sunday night, and I thank God that there are a lot of men and women that are able to say, I am not who I was. I might not be, I might not be everything I want to be, but I am not who I was. I, I have been saved and I, I have been sanctified. I have been washed and I have been redeemed. But Paul, 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 he would be one of the most powerful and influential individuals, certainly not only leaders of the early church, but one of the most powerful leaders to ever put his foot into a sandal and walk upon the sandy shores. He, he would be a powerful individual for us to draw strength from. But Paul, Paul was powerful not because of the proficiency of his pen or the mastering of his oratory, but he was powerful because of his testimony. It was his testimony. And it was that testimony that I have preached about numerous times that became his, his life song. It became his work. And he knew that he could not be who he had become and what he was becoming without the Lord upon his side. It is this very, this very Paul that we read about in the book of acts, in fact, when they come and they bring that handkerchief, those aprons, there is an anointing and there is a prayer meeting. He was a powerful guy. We know that they would come and even the anointing of handkerchiefs or aprons and it's normal practice for us. If someone cannot get here, we, we go our ministry team, we pray over aprons. We've given them out in the last week, a handkerchief that we place oil upon and we pray over. Is there power in the handkerchief? No, but there's power in the name of Jesus and there's power in the prayer and there's power in the biblical example. Where did we get that example? He's the guy. He was powerful in his prayer. This is the guy that when he's shipwrecked, he ends up on an island, shows up like a drowned rat. First thing he does, gets escapes the sea and shows up to the barbarous people that are there. And there they walk up and he barely survives a shipwreck and he's bit by a viper. That's a hard knock life. But what's he do? He shakes the viper off into the fire. And we only read a few more verses and Paul is walking through the island laying hands on people. Because believers can be bitten and keep moving forward. And Paul was that example. He was a powerful prayer warrior. He walks into the house of Publius, the main man on that island, and his father's laying sick, and Paul prays for him, and his father gets up. Listen, the guy that was just shipwrecked gave the whole captain, there's a word from the Lord, nobody's going to die, they're ready to kill everybody, so don't worry, no one's going to perish. They tell some people, grab some boards, and those that can swim, jump out, start swimming, those that can't, grab a board, do your best, kick your legs. The Bible says no one dies, they all make it miraculously, then Paul gets bit, shakes it off in the fire, then walks around starts laying hands on people he goes from a shipwreck to a viper bite to Publius's father getting up out of bed that's a powerful guy if Paul the evangelist was here tonight when 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 brother Matthews did prayer a little bit ago if Paul was the guy praying if he was one of the people everybody be working towards Paul be looking at me like no offense and I'd be okay with that say go see Paul look at those fang marks in his arm that dude's bad to the bone <laughs> Let him tell you the lashing story. He's, he's a cool dude. He has a track record of consistency after conversion to which I should say it ought to be the testimony of everybody in this place for no man having put his hand to the plow and then turning back. Oh, come on now. I feel that. Once he was converted and once he was changed, he made up his mind and he settled in. And, and regardless of persecution, he was settled in. And regardless of alienation, he was settled in. But, but there were some things in the heart of Paul and there were some people groups in his life that he desperately wanted to minister to. And there is a moment, there is a moment in his, in his heart and his transparency 
that he's writing to young Timothy. And he's telling him of the things that he sees in him. Obviously, Timothy, knowing all of the incredible works that have been done by the hand of Paul and in the ministry of Paul. And he says those words in verse 20. Rastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletus sick. It's hard for me to imagine that Paul would have had to leave anybody sick. It's not what I see. It's not what I read. And the transparency is not flattering. It's not something that you put on your resume if you're a man of prayer and faith. When you're the guy who's seeing everybody healed, you're the guy that they're even bringing aprons or handkerchiefs to. And you don't even have to come. Just pray over the thing. If you touch it. They'll be fine. And yet he on this moment and this occasion, at the end of his life, gets a moment that Timothy's going to need to hear. And it's this. Not every time does it work out the way you want it to. How could it be possible that Paul would have prayed for him and he was not healed? I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, It was never about the glory of Paul. I cannot overemphasize that. It was never about the glory of Paul. It was always about the glory of God. But I found myself asking the Lord, how can this even bring you glory? How can Trophimus remaining sick even bring you glory? There was obvious heartfelt affection. Paul isn't just writing about everybody. He will write to some churches, but this is that last letter. He's talking about greeting some folks. He's talking about some folks you better beware of. He says, I know people that persecute. I wrote the book on it. Better watch out for so-and-so. You better watch out for Alex. You, you, you better be careful. You, you guard yourself. I, I know about these people. And it seems like it comes out of nowhere. Greet Aquila. Greet, greet a, a, a Priscilla for me. And, 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 and you, Trophimus, I left sick. My leaders. Where does Trophimus come from? If you'll... Allow me for just a moment. I want to take you backwards to the book of Acts. The same book where we read about his conversion. Travel back with me in your book. I know it's Sunday, but if you'll allow me a little Bible study in this moment. Acts chapter Verse 4 says, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius of Derby, Timotheus of Asia, Tychus, and Trophimus. Trophimus. Maybe you have more than I, but I, I couldn't find much writing about Trophimus. Brother Brown couldn't find much preaching about Trophimus. I know that in my devotion, the Lord pointed him out. You know, the only guy I could find that preached about him was Charles Spurgeon. Of course he did. Of course, preached every day. Trophimus didn't get much airtime, but I want to tell you, and if you'll allow me for a little while, and I hope this is okay, I want to tell you and show you why he was so special. To Paul. Turn over one chapter to Acts 21. In Acts chapter 21, we're reading about an incredible engagement in a moment where Paul is going to be apprehended. Verse 27 of Acts 21 reads this way And when the seven days were almost ended, 
the Jews which were of Asia when they saw him in the temple stirred up all the people and laid hands on him crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. They said Paul's against the people. Paul is against the law and Paul is against the temple. And further brought Greeks into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved and the people ran together. And they took Paul and they drew him out of the temple. And forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band. And that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Who immediately took soldiers and centurions and they ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul, And you read on and you find that Paul is about to be put into two chains. What that means is that there was a soldier on his right and there was a soldier on his left. And he was chained up to these men to where he could not escape. It was, it was deep in the heartbeat of Paul. It was, it, was, it was so deeply settled into his heartbeat that he wanted an opportunity of witness in this atmosphere These believers, they had this incredible prejudice issue going on. And they could not believe. He's already preaching against us. He's already preaching against the law. He's preaching against the temple. They are fabricating. How many know that the enemy will get lies told on you? He'll fabricate lies to people that will believe and all he needs is some ungodly ears and some ungodly voices. And he begins to rile up those people and they begin to rile up one another and they press on him to begin to kill him. But the root of why they want to kill him is because this same man that we read about in 2 Timothy is the man that they thought he had allowed to get into the temple. There is there a court system and this, 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 this Gentile, this, this non-Jewish individual, this Ephesian, he has no business in the temple. But when Paul was with him, even though he would be able to say, I am, I am a Jew and he is soon to be given an audience and he's able to speak to being a Roman and he is able to speak in the Hebrew. He's going to have the opportunity here in a moment. He sees something in Trophimus that he sees in himself. I, I should not have deserved this. I should not have had a chance. I should not have been given the opportunity. And yet here I am. And he sees this man, but it's when the Jewish people see him. It's when the religious of the day, they see him. They look at him, Brother Faulkner, and they say, let's kill Paul because he's bringing people into the church that don't belong in the church. Don't you know this is a holy place? Don't you know this is a righteous place? And I understand the sacredness of this weekend and what we celebrate in American history. And I think it's right that the church addresses it, that we should be absolutely against racism. 100%. We ought to be equal. We ought to work together. I preached it last Sunday night. But I want to preach it too as a part of our mission on this Sunday night as I feel the Lord has led me a part of this reaching and connecting and discipling. We're against physical discrimination, but we're also against spiritual. They hated this guy because he was a Gentile. He was an Ephesian. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't come from the right place. But Paul saw something in him. Paul saw some faithfulness in him. 
In fact, theologians will track his life and trace his life and say that he's going to stick with Paul and he's going to be faithful to Paul when he finally falls sick and Paul can't pray him better and has to walk away from him because of the mission. He had been a faithful follower and a faithful companion of Paul through it all and he just kept working alongside of him. Here's what I think Paul thought of when he thought of this man and I think we have scriptural evidence to prove it. This man, although he was a Gentile, although he was this Ephesian, although he was this gentleman that they didn't even want inside the temple. This guy set me up for a chance to preach to people who wouldn't listen before this. He was chained to two soldiers and the entire crowd wanted to kill him and they're walking up and everybody's looking, people that wouldn't give him any attention and people that were yelling to beat him and to kill him and destroy him because of this moment right here. All of a sudden the entire crowd gets enchanted in the moment and you read Acts 21 and you read Acts 22 and here's what Paul did. From the moment presented by this individual, he turns and starts talking about the testimony and he begins to preach what Jesus Christ has done in his life. To which I would ask you this question about this individual because it first gripped my heart. How is it possible that he was not healed when Paul prayed for him? How is it possible that God did not touch his body and raise him up? And I felt like the Lord slapped me even in prayer and said, read on in the text and understand his life and remember that every life, it's not about their glory. Every life, it's not about their will. Every life, it's not about their desire. It's whether or not the kingdom of God got a benefit out of it. Can I be honest with you and tell you there are some prayers that I've prayed and they are not answered and I don't understand it. But I have come to declare this tonight. If God can get the glory out of it, then to God be the glory. I would want to get Trophimus on the hill. I'd want to get Trophimus on the prayer list and I think that we should. I'd want us to have an all night prayer for Trophimus and I think we should. And we had a living example here tonight and I, I, wouldn't make, I, I wouldn't make light of this or just use this for an easy illustration. He didn't know what I was preaching but Brother Denny didn't know what I was preaching tonight. Him up here singing that song and I don't know but I'm going to tell you there was a little extra glory coming out of that song because he was the one singing it. There's a little something extra on that song because I know what hell has lied to him. I know what the enemy's tried to discourage him. You don't even try to go. You don't need to be there. You, you don't need to give it your best. And yet here he was singing up here tonight in pain, but talking about the goodness of the Lord. God said it. I believe it. That's good enough for me. Trophimus, what if he doesn't heal you? I got a better question. What if you get the opportunity to turn and witness to everybody and tell them about the conversion? Tell them about riding down the road to Damascus. I'm about to make an odd statement for many of us here tonight because I know he's a healer, but he doesn't always heal. I know that he is a deliverer. But sometimes I've got to come back to the fact that his ways, they're just different than my ways. I've been to the deathbeds of great men and great women. I've laid there beside them. I've prayed until my throat was stripped and my lungs had taken all that they could take. And I've sought the face of God and not seen my answer. And yet within weeks, I've watched backslidden children. I watched a young man that we, we sought God to raise him up off that hospital bed. We sought God for deliverance, but he laid sick even unto the point of death. And he only could have seen it from glory if God made it possible when a string of friends from school walked in after that funeral and crashed into that altar, got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Got filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul 
what are you telling me? If I'm Timothy, I want to know. What are you telling me? And why would you even let me know? Am I supposed to go by Miletus? Am, am I supposed to pray for him? Am I? No, no, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you at the end of the day, it's not about you, Timothy. It's not about your glory, Timothy. It's about the We talked about powerful moves this morning in crossing Jordan. And yet I feel tonight that I have to tell someone, you're going to have to simply surrender that thing to God. I've wondered at what point Paul walked away from him. How much? Brother Turner, how, how much praying was done before Paul had to look at that companion? How many prayers were prayed? How many shallow breaths were taken? How many moments of anguish? How many? What must the road? I, I know that we get to read about the road to Damascus, but what must the road away from my leaders? Because sometimes you walk away not getting the answer you wanted. Sometimes, and I feel the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you walk away not getting the response from God that you wanted, but the response from God that you needed. So that He could pass it on to the next generation. Even when God doesn't do it your way, you keep losing. I need, I need some elders, I need some middle-aged folks in this room that could be honest and help me right now. You've had some prayer requests. He hasn't answered. If that's you, I need you to stand right now. You've ever had some prayer requests? I know some of you feel like, man, this is going against. It's not going against. It's, this is who we are. Now, I need every young person in the room to look around at the hundreds of individuals that are standing here. I'm amazed by some of the ones sitting that he's answered every prayer you've prayed. That shocks me. You're doing something better than I am. Younger people, I want you to look around at all these. You know what they're showing you? His goodness is not contingent. His worthiness is not contingent. Your need to be faithful to Him is not contingent upon whether He answers every prayer the way you pray it. Those that are standing, I'm asking for your help right now. I want you to lift your hands with me right now. And pray with me for the generation that's sitting around us. Because I'm afraid that our world has turned our God into a jack-in-the-box that you can just manipulate into answering. My, 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 I need the younger generation to lift your hands in this room right now and begin to pray, God, help me to be in love with you regardless of whether you answer prayers the way I pray them. Help me to honor you as a faithful God. Uh, Somebody's been praying about something and you're not getting the answer you want. And you can serve the enemy of your soul notice through your prayers right now. I'm not wavering on God. I'm not giving up on God. <laughs> I feel something powerful moving and shaking in this room right now. Uh, Oh, that's it. Let's lift our voices for a minute. Let's call on him in this room.
Timothy, he's still, he's still sick, but God is still good. Timothy, he's still sick, but, but bring me the parchments. I've got more to write. I watched some videos. I'm, I'm closing. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping. I watched some videos from the elders sing last night. Some amazing videos singing about the goodness of God. And I watched men and women singing in those videos last night that I know he hasn't answered all your prayers the way you prayed them. But you're still here. You're still here. And you bear witness. You bear witness. You bear witness to the goodness of God. Every time you walk back into this house, the power of your testimony doesn't always go the way we want to. And I'm reaching for somebody tonight. I'm reaching for somebody. Your emotions have been strung out. I'm reaching for you tonight. You keep thinking, why won't God answer the way I need him to answer? And I've come tonight with an assignment that's a little bit unique to tell him that even in his silence, he's good. If he's so good, then why aren't they getting healed? I don't know, but he's good. If he's so good, then why don't they come home? I don't know, but he's good. The question is, can you just lace up your shoes? Can you just walk back into his presence in spite of the doctor's report and say, he's good. In spite of the turmoil, he's good. In spite of that companion that's laying on the sick bed, he's good. Timothy, younger generation, he's good. Greet Aquila. Greet Priscilla. Get here before winter. He's good. He's good. I'm asking for everybody 30 years of age and younger to come to the altar tonight. Now listen, you gotta come in tight. Anybody that wants to stay away, you gotta come in tight. And I know we're gonna be... Look what a percentage here tonight. Elders, isn't this encouraging? How many 30 years of age it comes with? Brother Dozal, we're so blessed at this church. People that give and pray. People that seek God, faithful to the Lord. You younger generation, I want you to look at me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to be very clear what I'm telling you tonight. You're going to be, if you're going to be successful in the kingdom of God, but Chris, these are some words you're going to have to write down. You're going to have to be faithful to him. Even in times the enemy tries to prove you, he's been unfaithful to you. Because you're going to go through some life situations. You already have. I'm not, if I say you're going to, I'm not at any manner trying to speak condescending. I know some of you have been through things that would make others sick in this room and we couldn't understand. But you have or you will endure some situations in life and you still have many ahead of you where you are going to want to wring your hands and say, where is God in this? How many elders know I'm telling the truth right now? Some of it's going to be physical. Some of it's going to be spiritual. Some of it will just be mental and emotional. Some of it will be 
self-inflicted and some of it will be hell-inflicted. But across the board, it's going to give you an opportunity at times. Young men and young ladies, look at me. I need you to look. If I've ever talked to you, if I've ever felt a burden to try to get something directly into your spirit, it's right now. You're going to, give, you're going to be given the opportunity to say, well, God's not fair. It'll be this little seed. We talk about the seed, that mustard seed. We even talked about it tonight, just that little bit of faith. Well, I'm going to tell you the, 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 the root of bitterness starts with a little seed too. Just a tiny seed. It's just, it's, it seems insignificant. It's just one little hurt. It's, it's just one little statement. It's just one little word. It's just, just one little, it's just one little offense. It's just one little, one little statement. It's just one little lie or, or one little remark. You heard the preacher said this or, or you heard that the, the Sunday school teacher said that. It's just, it's one little discrepancy that you saw and it makes you want to think if they were really a Christian or, or if that's what Christianity is or if that's what Pentecost, I don't want any. And, he, and he, it's just this little seed. And you're going to pray and you're going to say, God, you need to fix this. And there's going to be times, I need you to hear me, there's going to be times you're going to pray fervently. And I'm not trying to diminish faith. I'm trying to build faithfulness. There's going to be times you pray and it doesn't get answered the way you pray. And you can either allow it to become the tree root that grows of bitterness that trips you up or you can allow it to be a part of your testimony that although they were mean to you although they hurt you although they abused you although they walked out on you although they died on you without your permission although they were taken and God didn't even seem like he cared you're going to be able to square your shoulders and say, wait a minute. God's been faithful to me. I've spent the last couple decades plus preaching to young people, and I love you. I'm enamored by your walk for God and your love. But if there's one thing he's trying to absolutely, the enemy is trying to an, annihilate in your generation, it's genuine faithfulness to God. We serve him in the highlights of life, but we can't write letters of influence during the low seasons. Who are you when Trophimus is sick? Paul was writing to that young preacher. You gotta be consistent. He was telling him, I see some things in you. I saw them in your grandmother. I saw them in your mother. I see them in you. And I'm telling this younger generation on a Sunday night in January, we see it in you. We see power in you. We see authority and strength and vibrancy in you, but not because of your giftings and not because, you, listen, not because you can play well or sing well or do good at sports. We love all that, but that's not what we're talking about. We see in you the ability to carry the gospel forward. We see if anyone has the ability to fill this building multiple times over, it's you. You got the strength and you got the energy. But Caleb, he's after your faithfulness, that enemy of your soul. He's after your faithfulness. He wants to plant something in there and come after that to get you into a dark season and make you want to think, wait a minute, if God was really good, I wouldn't deal with this. We wouldn't endure this. It's not true. It's not true. Brother Brandon, it's not true. Life's going to happen. But God, God is good. 